0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Happy September, everybody. We've uh, made it to the now penultimate month before the NBA season start month. We're in true count up mode. I can say it as many times as I want and eventually it'll make it true. September 1st. It's Friday, wrapping up another week here on Fantasy NBA Today. This, of course, is a Sports Ethos presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespris. I always forget to, uh, for those watching on the simulcast on YouTube, I always forget to make that font nice and large there. But that's Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Sportsethos.com is the website. I can tell you now as we open up this show, that the NBA Draft Guide is ready for launch. In fact, it may be, like, secretly available. If you uh, push the right buttons on the website, you can just kind of maybe find it almost by accident. So this is this weird little window where the marketing team has not done the full rollout yet and when they do that the price of everything is going up so I bring that up because again you have this basically a last chance to get the NBA fantasy pass or the all sport fantasy pass for the prices they are at right now and lock those in for life as long as you just don't turn it off so you can get the all sport fantasy pass for 7 bucks that's on its way up to 10 and this could be happening literally at any moment it's going to come down to whether or not like the sports ethos marketing guys can get an email together and the right tweets going. So, this is your last chance. Stop screwing around. Go to sportsethos.com. Click on the premium tab. Get the NBA fantasy pass. Get the all sport fantasy pass if you're going to play anything else besides basketball. It's going to come with the Brewski 150. It's got all the good stuff. The NBA draft guide has 75 pieces of content in it here already. And it's well on its way to probably about 130, 150 before all is said and done. It is a whopper. It's going to be the best it's ever been. But more than anything, just get it while you're getting it on a discount. Stop waiting. So many of you are waiting. Ah, well. So today's an interesting show in that we don't have a specific topic at hand. And I know the show title and the show thumbnail talks about the Yahoo Top 30. We're not going to go through the Top 30 again on today's show because we've done that in little bits and pieces, two, three, four players at a time over the last two weeks. What I thought we could do on today's show, and the reason that I still have the uh, draft board up for those that are watching with us on YouTube... By the way, hey, if you're listening in, please drop a five-star review on the pod. It would be incredibly helpful. If you're watching... Please hit the thumbs up. Please subscribe to our YouTube page. We got all this stuff going on, and it's just going to get better and better every day. But the reason I've left the draft board up for those that are watching live, and we're going to be talking about it for those that are listening, is that I thought with all the bonus mock drafts we've been doing and going through the players basically one by one over this two-ish week stretch— we haven't really stopped and kind of backed up to look at all of it in more of this macro sense. Oh, we've gone plenty deep on why you should or should not draft Kyrie Irving at 12 or JJJ at 9 or Donovan Mitchell at 16 or whatever it is that we've been discussing here over the days and kind of placing players in not tiers, not buckets. Those are not the right word for it, but placing them in ADP bands This is where they're going. This is where they're going in chunks. We've done all of that in this sort of smaller sense, but we haven't really backed up and said, well, what's that? What is that teaching us about how drafts look right now and how we should be approaching the first two, two and a half rounds? I can't launch into it headstrong because we've only done 28. Of the top 30 ADP guys on the show. So I need to basically just like... I'll say to you here, the next two guys, and, and YouTubers can see it on the screen, the next two guys that are on the board that are dra- being drafted ADP, 30.2 and 30.3, are Victor Wembenyama and Pascal Siakam. I'm not going to do a breakdown of those two guys on today's show. We might at some point early next week if I decide I want to go a little bit farther in this kind of player-by-player thing. Uh, But we're not going to do it today. Just take my word for it that those two guys and basically Paul George are kind of this next grouping. You might see Jalen Brunson creep into that mix. We've seen Nikola Vucevic uh, creep into that mix as well. Not important for today's show. Today's show is about this overall feel, this what-do-we-do do element at each juncture. Thing number one, let's just let's just launch into it. I actually don't have an exact number of things that I want to talk about on today's show, but we're just going to go through them piece by piece. Thing number one is, if you have the top pick on the board, you still have an advantage this year. There are some seasons where it's not quite as pronounced. Perhaps this one turns out to be one of those if Joel Embiid stays upright this year. But if you have a top, if you have the top pick and you get Nikola Jokic, you have an advantage. The flip side of that is that right now, the end of the second round, which basically the players going near, uh, say like 22 to 26, somewhere in that neck of the woods, is a little iffy. You've got guys like, as we talked about over the last couple of shows, you've got the older, very uh, nerve-wracking crew of a Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James. You've got Trey Young, who makes a ton of sense if you're kind of leaning into a particular build. If you go Jokic, Trey Young, and head-to-head, you probably won't be able to get that. But let's say that he did fall to pick 24 at the end of the second round, You've got this uh, very assist-heavy, high turnover, great free-throw percent team. James Harden is falling towards the end of the second round if you wanted to take that plunge. Sometimes you're seeing Freddie Van Vliet down there. Sometimes you're seeing Desmond Bain. Lowry Markinen is going in that group, as is Carl anthony Towns. All that to say that there isn't a super-obvious pairing I mean, with Nikola Jokic, you can kind of get away with anybody. But your choices in that spot are a little clunky. And it reminds me of... Actually, it's kind of the first time we've had this happen in the Nikola Jokic is far and away the number one guy era, where the back end of the second round really is worse than the front end of the second round. It was a little bit like that this past season. So it was like, oh, you got Nikola Jokic, who's the guy you get late in the second round that is that you mix up with him. But you know me, I do a lot of roto, even on the head-to-head side, you could sort of you know move down the board a little bit if you had to. The year before that, as you guys might recall, the second round was kind of a wash. The beginning of the second round was a disaster. The middle of the second round was kind of okay. The back end of the second round was also kind of okay. So your advantage having a top pick, not this season, but the previous one, was substantial. This year, the second round does help balance things out a little bit. And if you have third round reversal, that also helps things uh, in the balancing more. And it might even overflip it. But, eh, probably not. I think you do still want to have third-round reversal. But I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. That's not what today's topic is. We talked about third-round reversal stuff at the end of last season. And, you know, th- to me, this is a must if you're in any league where you, as a commissioner, can turn it on. But what I kind of like about this year's draft board is that if you have a pick between two and seven which right now is Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, and then you're getting this Tatum-Halliburton duo at uh, 4 and 5, and then Steph Curry and Shea Gilgis-Alexander are the 6-7 duo. It comes back to you in the second round with that, that grouping of players we were talking about kind of before the last one, meaning Mikhail Bridges, Donovan Mitchell, Desmond Bain, Demonis Sabonis, Freddie Van Vliet, Trey Young. Maybe James Harden, depending on where he ends up. That's a group of players that, by and large, you got Sabonis, Bridges. These are like big-time durable dudes. Trey Young is a durable dude. Harden is not. Van Fleet is fairly dinged up, but on a per-game basis, he'll probably be okay. And then Donovan Mitchell is kind of like a blend of both, of having per-game upside but not being too banged up. That's a grouping of players that, on the head-to-head side has a lot of appeal and so you get this really nice opportunity for pairing with very good first round picks before you get into that oh my god what should I do between picks 8 and 16 because remember we spent almost an entire week on this podcast talking about what to do between Damian Lillard and Devin Booker folks picture this nightmare scenario you're hosting friends for the big game Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. So let's say you've got the fourth pick. You decide to go Tyrese Halliburton in the first round. Who's coming back to you? It's probably going to be somebody like Mikael Bridges or Sabonis uh, or Desmond Bain This is a really nice pairing, I believe. So there's a lot of chatter about how Tyrese Halliburton didn't play that many games last year. Indiana did ultimately go into a throw-in-the-towel mode. So anyway, back to the point at hand. We're talking about Tyrese Halliburton, um, or just this, this grouping of players. I know that this is sort of a broad... You guys like the shows where I get really into the weeds on particular players. This is not that kind of show. So, apologies in advance if that's what you were looking for. But now, on the head to head side, having a pick in that like three to seven range is really enviable because you have players in the second round that are going to be at your disposal that are generally upright. Some of them are very good with the 10th category. Some of them are just kind of like fine with the 10th category. On the Roto side, that's a group of players that are, in my opinion, kind of tougher to pick from. But on the head-to-head side, someone like Devonis Sabonis is a glorious sort of mid-late second round pick because you know he's going to play through stuff and he gets you things in a number of different categories. And just sort of on a whim here, let's say that you were able to somehow pair Tyrese Halliburton and Demonis Sabonis, you're probably not going to be all that strong in scoring, but your rebounds are good, your assists are excellent, your steals are fine, your threes are fine, your blocks are kind of low, your percentages are pretty damn good. Free throw could use a little bit of work, I suppose, but Halliburton's good there. Both of these guys are good field goal percent dudes. So you create this nice firm base Where, again, in head-to-head, if you're trying to get really good at five or six categories, you're well on your way there. Or if you wanted to go Mikael Bridges there, who's not as great at rebounds and assists, but pair him up with Tyrese Halliburton. Now your team suddenly is good in steals, threes, uh, percentages are both solid, free throw being uh, excellent. You have a weirdly low turnover team at the front end, despite being pretty good in assists. And these guys are probably going to play. You don't have to take a chance on someone like a LeBron James or a Kawhi Leonard or a Jimmy Butler because these guys are falling to you. Now, the nice thing about this area is on the Roto side, if you ended up with Halliburton at pick 3 or 4 or 5 or whatever it is at the top of the first round, and you wanted to go at pick 20 or 21, take a shot on Kawhi or Butler or Harden or someone that you know is going to have that per-game potential— You can still do that. So to me, that's a really interesting spot to be. I still, after all of this breakdown, think that being between picks 8 and 12 is a severe disadvantage. That group of players is very much a choice between someone you think is going to have per game huge upside and might just snap like a twig 25 games into the season... I'm looking at you, Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. Guys that are more punt-buildy, like a Giannis falls in that range. Guys that, in my opinion, are going to have to learn how to share a whole hell of a lot more, like a Devin Booker. Guys that have the upside but haven't really seen it through yet, like a LaMelo Ball or an Anthony Edwards. Guys that are one-trick ponies, like Jaron Jackson Jr., or in my opinion, somehow the most well-rounded of that group is Kyrie freaking Irving. And the the absolute disaster of this is that if you have a pick between 8 and 12 in the first round, you're going to have to try to pick two of those guys. Dame, by the way, falls into that kind of same category as Devin Booker of guys that are probably going to be playing with more high-usage players around them. So what do you do there? Do you go two guys like that and hope that they figure it out? Do you go LaMelo and hope that he does finally step into all of that fantasy potential and wipe out some of the stuff that's rough? Do you do the same kind of thing with Anthony Edwards and hope that he steps into that potential and fixes his percentages? Do you go with the upside place of Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis, knowing that they're going to almost definitely lead this group in per-game numbers? I guess Kyrie could sneak in there as well, but do they stay upright? One of them? None of them? Two of them? Lump Kyrie into that mix? Do you go two of those three guys and just say, well, the hell with it. One of them is probably going to play 64 games this year, and then the other plays 52, and hopefully my Roto team can stand upright at the end of the season. Head-to-head side, you almost definitely can't go that path. It's a brutal spot. Your, option, your other option is... Do you go down and pick from the deeper pile in the second round and take Donovan Mitchell a little early or take them on as a Sabonis a little bit early at like pick, I don't know, 15, where people are going to be like, oh, you went Sabonis at 15 on head to head. But then you're like, okay, look, I just, you know, my first round pick was Kyrie. I don't know if he's going to play more than 62 games. I got to get a guy who's going to try to play 75 games or more in the second round even if that means I'm giving up a per-game shot. That's probably the path you gotta go on the head-to-head side. I hate to say it, because it's more exciting to, you know, tie the blindfold on and just start firing and hope that, you know, AD or KD or Kyrie, that two of those three guys make it through and you pick those two guys, but you're threading a damn needle with a dart. That's probably bigger than the eye of the needle. It's an unbelievably risky play. If it works, you you know, your head-to-head team is going to be very, very good. It's still not a guarantee you're going to win because there's playoffs and anybody can miss a, you know, two games at the wrong time. You'll have a very good regular season head-to-head team. And I know some of you are probably listening to me rant and rave here and saying, Dan, well, if you have pick eight, why don't you just go Giannis and lead into a punt build? Dude, Giannis hasn't played in that many games lately either. That whole stretch is just a minefield. And it's, I'm trying to think of the right way to, to express this metaphor. It's a minefield where... You're purposely stepping on some of the mines. Because you kind of have to. It's not like you could go... I mean, I guess you could if you have, like, pick 10. And you could be like, look, I'm just going to take two guys that I think are going to play most of their games this year. And, you know, you go... Sabonis with your second round pick, which would be 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So Sabonis at 15, and who are you doing at 10? Lamello hasn't been upright. Dame is a question mark if he's traded before the season starts. Booker's been hurt. Are you going Anthony Edwards and Demonis Sabonis? Your team has no per game. For, I mean, you might have not a single first rounder per game on your club at that point. Do you go Donovan Mitchell? He's not a first rounder per game, but he, he's close, I guess. You kind of have no choice but to go with a cross your fingers and pray upside play and then pair that dude up with someone who's a little bit safer, um, lower ceiling, higher floor. So you go low floor, high ceiling with one, high floor, low ceiling with the other. You kind of have to on the head-to-head side. Roto, all of this stuff becomes a little bit simpler, which I don't think Roto is easier to play. I think most people actually agree that Roto is slightly harder to play um, because you can't just give up on half of the categories and still win your league. Uh, This is one area where playing Roto does make your life a little bit less complicated because you can take a shot on someone who might not play as many games and it won't immediately end your team. You know, I had a number of second and first place clubs last year that had Anthony Davis on them, or Kevin Durant on them. It didn't immediately detonate my team. It made it a whole, hell of a lot harder. But at least you could fill in their missed games with somebody else, and their per-game production was so great that you know, it wasn't completely ruining your club. Whereas with head-to-head, if you just don't have your first or second round pick for a long stretch, your team's going to get whomped almost every week unless you're playing another team that doesn't have their first or second round pick, which is common It's common these days, considering how many games those guys tend to miss. Okay. So, what we've determined here is, if you're in a snake draft, you want to probably end up between 3 and 7, if possible. God help you. If you end up between 8 and 12, you probably go one risky play and one non-risky play in the second round, even if that means you sort of pull from five or six slots deeper down the board to do it. People are going to look at you like you're nuts, but you got to have someone that's going to actually play their games and be a top 20-some-odd guy. Otherwise, you're just doomed. And on Roto, if you really wanted to go crazy, an Anthony Davis-Kyrie Irving pair would be very interesting. You wouldn't go through one damn day the whole season without grinding the tops of your teeth off, but it would sure as crap be interesting. There's a lot of pro Lamello stuff going on out there. You guys know I like Lamello. I think uh, when he's healthy, he's one of the most interesting players in the NBA to watch because he operates, his passing in particular, operates at a gear higher than most of the other guys out there. And all it would really take for him to jump from top 30 to top 15 is fixing his field goal percent a little bit. I don't know if that happens, is the big question mark there. So does he then become a little bit of a punt build guy? Yeah, maybe. If you're going LaMelo early, you're either going high field goal percent guy in the very next pick, like a Demonis Sabonis, to try to wipe out the issue there, which they do kind of cancel each other out, or you lean into it and go, you know, like a Freddie Van Vliet and hope that he makes it through or something to that effect. Like, you just... You just wear it. There aren't that many awful field goal percent guys at the top of the board. Jason Tatum, Dame are probably the other ones that you could kind of put in that pocket. James Harden, if you're feeling particularly saucy and want to go that route. So, to me, this is where your strategy begins. If you're in a head-to-head league and you have the first pick in Nikola Jokic... You're looking for someone at the end of the second round that won't... I I wouldn't take a shot there. I know that that seems crazy, but you have everything working for you with Jokic as your first pick. There's no reason to take a second rounder that could sink your team. So guys like Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, it would be easy to say, I have such an unbelievably powerful first round pick. I can take a risk here, but it doesn't guarantee you a win anyway. I think if you're in that range, you might even consider looking a little deeper down the board and take someone that you know is going to play in most of their ball games. It's unlikely that guys like Sabonis, Bridges, Trey Young will fall to you at 24. Uh, you could go Larry Markkinen and hope that he plays in more of his games this year. He'll probably still be there. Um, you could go Towns and hope that he stays upright and you go big, big to start things but I would probably dodge the really risky plays. If you have the second or third pick, and you end up with someone like Joel Embiid, you probably also want to dodge the risky plays. The spot where I think you could go risky a little bit is if you get someone, like we talked about, like a Jason Tatum mid-first round, who's likely to play in a lot of his ball games. That's where maybe you could go a little riskier in the second round. I think Halliburton plays in more games in the first. That gives you a little bit more of an opening. Um, I think Shea plays in a lot of his games this year as the Thunder try to make that kind of push to the next rung. That gives you an opportunity to go maybe a little bit riskier in the kind of mid to late second round if you wanted to take a chance. And then, like we talked about, the back four or five picks of that first round, you kind of have to go one risky, one not, and they're all coming from that same eight to nine person pocket. But what about the beginning of the third round? Because the topic for today's show is how to deal with the top 30. Um, and that means that we're going to at least hear trickle into the front of the next group of players. Which is the same group of players that we just talked about. How much risk can you take on? Okay, this is where things get a little bit fun. If you had Nikola Jokic with your first round pick and your second round pick was someone that you feel will probably make it through the season mostly intact, that means like 68 games or better. With your third round pick, I think in almost any format, head-to-head or roto, you can get a little bit goofy. You don't have to. You can continue to play it safe because, again, building around Jokic and going safe early is a really simple way to kind of make sure that you're in the top four almost regardless of what you do the rest of the way. But if you want to take your home run hack, I would say do it at the beginning of the third round. That's where, if someone like a Kawhi is still on the board, or a Jimmy Butler is still on the board, or a James Harden is still on the board, that's where you take your shot and see what happens. Pick, I guess it would be 24, 25. You go one guy you think is going to be safer, and you go one guy that's a little bit more daring And if that one hits, you're almost unstoppable. I know we've said that you can't really win your fantasy league in the first three rounds, but if you have Jokic and one of these unbelievable per-game injured guys hits and you have that dude, and you have two guys on your team that are top five in per game and also playing most of the time, you are going to win most of your week's because those guys carry so much water for your fantasy team. And then if the guy in between is one that's more of like a top 20 that is also upright, you're just destroying people. Especially if you find someone in the fourth, fifth, sixth round that turns out to be like a two-round jumper. Hands off the wheel, man. You're cruising. If you are, however, not with Jokic like we just talked about if you have Joel Embiid or I guess that's really the other one he's a much riskier play I know Jokic only beat him by a couple of ball games played this last season and there's actually a real chance that Embiid plays in more games than Jokic this year maybe like a 20-30% chance even you probably have to go relatively safe with each of your next two picks second and third round so this is pick 23 Pick 26. You're going safe at 23 if you can. And at 26, because all the guys that are on the board right there are the Roto-only types, you might want to think about reaching down the board and going for someone like a DeJounte Murray or uh, even like a Vooch or a Bam. These guys that are not going to blow you away with their per-game production, but are notoriously healthy. A lot of centers in that group, by the way. Now, if you're in that next crop, as we move through the board here again, if that you're in like the Jason Tatum, Tyrese Halliburton grouping, where you've likely collected a first rounder who's going to try to play in a lot of their ball games, and in the second round, you have a choice of risky or not, you probably just do the opposite of that in the third. So if you went safe safe in the first two, you can probably go a little riskier in the third. That's kind of like what we talked about with Jokic. Go safe, safe, and then you can definitely take a risk. If you have Tatum and you went risky in the second, so like you go Tatum-Harden or something like that, or uh, Tatum-Kawhi or Tatum-Butler, then the third, you probably pivot back into safe again. Like we just talked about. Vooch, Bam, guys that are a little farther down the board. DeJounte has been relatively healthy when he's playing for teams that are trying to win. And go that route. Because come the fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, whatever, that's where you're going and you're grabbing the guys that you're eyeballing. Sometimes they're going to be the boring dudes, but you're going for, you're chasing upside after that. (sighs) Shea and Steph. I didn't really talk much about Steph on today's show. Steph is not a safe play. He's just going at seven in drafts now, but he's not safe. Steph's missed a ton of games lately. Uh, If you have Steph in the first, to me, I think you can treat him a little bit like one of the picks you're getting a little bit later in the first round. The only difference is that at least Curry has, you know, top six per game upside, which is not that dissimilar from Durant and Anthony Davis, honestly. We don't want to admit it because it feels different, but it's not that different. So probably treat Steph a lot like that. If you're going to go with those risky per-gamers your first round, then you've got to go safe-safe after that. The nice thing is in the second round, you might be able to get your hands on Damanis Sabonis or Mikhail Bridges or Donovan Mitchell or someone like that. And then in the third, you're a little farther down the board, you don't, you're not really even reaching anymore if you're grabbing Murray or Bam or Vooch or... I don't know how much farther down the board I would go than those guys if you have a pick like near 30. But that's something to consider. And then you really kind of get screwed if you have like pick twelve and hopefully you're able to do something like pair Kyrie Irving and I don't even know who. Maybe you're even pairing him with JJJ. You're gonna get stuck with somebody that's just you just you can't miss. So you gotta go you gotta hope that someone like Bam or Vooch falls to you there. Because otherwise you're in the next group of guys, 36 and 37. You don't want to go all the way down to, like, a Damar. It's just a brutal spot to be. you got to have third-round reverse. I mean, this is, like, the argument for it because the guys at the end of the third round, but more so the guys at the beginning of the fourth round, but, like, if your third-round pick could instead be someone with huge per-game upside... It just changes everything. Those guys are all going to be off the board by pick 36. How are you supposed to catch up with somebody who has Halliburton and Sabonis and you have JJJ and Anthony Edwards? You got no shot. You got to flip the third round. You got to. You need to be the one picking from Markkanen, or Braun, or Kawhi, or Butler, or Cat, and they need to be the ones picking from Bam, or Brunson, or Fox, or Jalen Brown. It's just otherwise, it's just not fair. All right, so that's that's what we've learned, I think, so far. We haven't really analyzed picks, you know, twenty-nine through thirty-six. But I want to get into some of those players next week, and we can kind of figure out maybe there's a way to inch through this. But more than anything, tell your commissioner you want third-round reversal. Find a way to do it. Um, I don't know if Yahoo offers that yet. I'm to do a little exploring myself. But that's how you start your draft in a way that hopefully won't completely obliterate your team with TNT before your draft even starts. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I forgot to mid-show remind everyone to please drop a five-star review. Or, if you're watching... Thumbs up and subscribe. We got all these things. I'm going to be doing at least one YouTube show basically every single day between now and when the season starts. Uh, And when my kid is not off school for unknown reasons, we'll also have a mock draft that might be either late tonight or possibly over the weekend. But we'll get you that bonus episode at some point. Indeed. I am Dan Baspris at Dan Baspris as I shut down this window so that you guys can... uh, See my face and my name if you're watching with us. To those that are listening, again, thank you all for hanging out with us throughout this very long offseason, extra week long with the season starting so late. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. We'll do a lot of stuff on social media, so please do follow me over there. Sportsethos.com, the website. Go get yourself a premium sub while the price is still low. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you for a mock draft at some point during said weekend but when whenever the hell i can pop free for 20 minutes Doo-doo-doo for now